Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about the importance of meditation. But before we get into all that, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the Infinite Spark of Being and all that that entails, you can do that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com where you can find a link to a donation page where you can sign up to donate monthly through Patreon for $1 or $5 a month or a one-time donation through Venmo. Uh, There's also a link to purchase one of the two books, which is another way to support this. Uh, If you already have those books, you can also support this effort by uh, purchasing t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, art prints, whatever, through the shop link on the site. So here we are, the importance of meditation. Let's get started. Meditation is not going to allow you to transcend life and uh, escape what it is to be a human. Um, In fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, The practice of meditation allows us or rather forces us, if we're consistent, to fully inhabit our human experience fearlessly. It trains us to hold space for the mind, the body. Um, Holding space for someone means that Uh, We allow them their time to whirl, spiral, whatever, without judgment, without needing to advise them. Um, And real quick, I was snorkeling yesterday and uh, was having a little trouble with my sinuses, so I probably sound a little froggy. Um, Well, uh, that's what we learn to do through meditation for the mind and the body. Um, You know, and just like compassion... Learning to do these things for ourselves is how we cultivate the ability to do it for others. Remember, um, this human birth is a microcosm of the universe. We, uh, or our ability to be with our own mind gives us the ability to be with the minds of others as their minds manifest into actions and whatever in the world. And uh, we have to be present for these actions. You have to be around the people. Remember, you can't hide from the human experience, and that's what meditation is giving you. It's giving you fearlessness. This is why uh, Chilgum Trungpa and some others also always called it a, uh, a warrior's activity. You know, you learn to sit fearlessly with the activity of the mind, fearlessly with the sensations in the body. Um, and I want to lay something out for you here. Real quick, the subconscious mind is always thinking. You're not aware of those thoughts because those thoughts are outside of your conscious awareness. Um, But what's happening is the body is responding to the subconscious mind. So this is happening behind the scenes. And then your conscious mind steps in and elaborates on it. Um, What you believe is an inner dialogue where you are quote unquote deciding something is actually the conscious mind using imagination and fantasy and its normal patterns to expand on the thoughts the subconscious mind is programmed to come up with. And since the mind believes that everything that it thinks of is real and that it's happening in time at this moment, it feels the need to send a signal into the body because it believes that there's something to do about something. And all of that is learned, and uh, it's a learned, programmed response to the world, right? Um, 
And what we're going to go through here is uh, why in day-to-day life this is important, why in religion it's important, and why in magic and occult thinking this stuff is important. So uh, remember, you know, you're not the mind, you're not the body. Remember, you are the awareness that sits behind all of that. You're not the mind, you're not the body. You are soul. And when we rest in that spacious awareness, that awareness rather that sits behind all of it, we get closer to the soul, closer to self with a capital S. You begin to remember yourself. Um, you might remember that from, I believe there's an old t-shirt that I had with that on it. Um, so this, uh, this remembering of self, again, capital S, is the clearing away of obscurations. Um, we are cleaning the window, so to speak. Uh, if the mind is a lens through which we view the world, then the seven cognitive faculties of the mind are filters, or you could consider those the obscurations, right? Judgment, perception, consciousness, language, memory, and thinking are the seven cognitive faculties of the mind. Um, you can look at these and see how something like perception becomes skewed or how what we are conscious or unconscious of can truly affect our experience and um, our experience of the world around us, right? So this practice requires um, something that not many people have, and that's persistent conscious effort. Um, engaging in meditation from time to time whenever we feel stressed out isn't going to cut it. That's not how it's done. That's not going to change the way the mind takes in the world. It's not going to be enough to, to, uh, to create space between stimulus and response, right? Meditation is something that has been proven over and over again to actually change the biology of the brain, to actually change the way the mind works. If perception is reality and perception is a cognitive faculty of the mind, then it's safe to say that we experience the world through the mind. Remember, perception means a way of understanding, regarding, or interpreting something. Your perception is your experience and your perception is the mind. Your experience is the mind. The mind is very important. Even physical sensation is experienced through the mind. Um, physical sensation is perceived and categorized through the mind due to past experience, uh, which was again categorized through the mind. Um, you know, go back to the widget analogy I always use. Everything is a widget and you were more or less told how to feel about certain things through culture, family, etc. So, uh, for instance, people that, you know, have an aversion to hugging, don't have an aversion to hugging because they have a different body than everybody else. It's because their subconscious mind has a story and a category for what uh, this sort of contact represents. And since it's the subconscious, they aren't consciously aware, aware of what that representation is. Remember, the mind uses symbols. Hugging is a symbol. And that person's subconscious mind has a meaning for that symbol. Um, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just, you know, trying to make a point. Um, so, and I, I see this uh, in my work all the time. People that have an aversion to certain physical activity or physical, I'm sorry, physical sensations, whether it's hugging or being physically exhausted due to physical activity, get past it when their mind begins to experience it 
differently. A great example is when we take somebody into the ocean for the first time, and this happens a lot. Um, we, I, I, it's so funny because I take it for granted because I live where there is an ocean. I always forget that there's people out there that have never been in the ocean. Um, you know, they have all these stories about what is in the ocean and what's going to happen to them in the ocean. So their bodies tense up. Uh, some of them have anxiety attacks. Some of them have panic attacks. Every single one of them gets past it. Uh, we have never had anyone not be able to get past the physical sensation of fear. Once their mind experiences it differently, the story changes. So uh, back to that Viktor Frankl quote, between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in that space lies our growth and our freedom. Without space to do something differently, you will continue to do the same things and respond to situations the same way. Meditation allows us to begin creating that space uh, where, you know, we don't have to be so reactive, right? And, and often we can't help it. We'll recoil at the slightest discomfort. Well, when you know, the discomfort hits, the conscious mind begins, it becomes obsessed with it. It begins to elaborate on it. It uses its you know, imagination and fantasy to create a story about who did what, why they did it, why it always happens to them, so on and so forth. But if, uh, if there's a practice of meditation in place, then there's an option to let go of the story, to lean back into that awareness and get a different view of things. Um, it's almost like we're sitting and this fog sets in, right? And, and it becomes everything that we see. However, if, if we practice, we learn to stand up out of it. We learn not to accept it as reality. We have sat with the mind enough to know that it's very imaginative and very frightened of everything. Um, I know for myself, I don't accept my mind's initial take on things to be the absolute truth. Um, so the way the subconscious and the conscious mind work are an important thing to keep in mind, to remember that, first of all, they don't exist, right? Uh, they aren't always truthful, and there's usually more to the story. And we realize all of that in the breath, um, when we have the habit of going to our breath rather than into the mind, we do something very important. We touch base with what is. The breath is real and it's happening in that moment. We touch base with reality. The stories of the conscious mind are not always real. They aren't always happening, but the breath is. This is where the idea of grounding techniques and grounding comes in. Um, to come down into the body um, out of the mind, you know, uh, feeling your feet, touching the arms of a chair, all that stuff is meant to bring you down out of the mind and into the body, into what's real. However, I prefer the breath and I prefer it for a number of reasons. One would be that if we look at the body as a machine, we know that if we slow the air pump down, the jelly computer that's in the helmet slows down. And when the jelly computer slows down, the thoughts and the thinking seem to change. And when that changes, the body feels different. And since, you know, that seems to be the problem, why not just cut to the chase? Go to the breath. Um, I've sat with countless people during panic attacks, PTSD episodes, and the breath always works. Um, Counting and all this kind of shit doesn't seem to bring them into the present moment as quickly or as gently. 
Um, it seems to keep them thinking. It keeps them in their thinking mind. However, the breath is not the mind. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's happening. The breath is real. And, and not simply to breathe, but to breathe in and out through the nose. And uh, that's how we're meant to breathe. There's, you know, there's a lot of science around longevity and nose breathing as well. Um, so if your therapist said in through the nose, out through the mouth, for meditation, you can ignore them. Uh, you have my permission. Let them know that this guy that does a podcast said you don't have to. Um, and no, there's there's no counting. Don't do box breathing or whatever. We're not doing breath work. We're doing meditation. We're allowing the mind to race, whirl, spiral, and scream. We're letting the body ache and tense up. And all the while, we're the awareness that notices it. We're watching it. It has nothing to do with us. That's the mind and the body, not me. Um, I mean, it's worked for 2,500 years. Let's just do it right, you know? Uh, you know, we like to take something that works, and if it's a little difficult, we change it to suit us rather than to simply do it right. I mean, you can look at meditation. The studies were done with shamatha. That's what worked. Well, now we have these apps that teach us everything but shamatha. Anyway, I digress. Uh, but I want you to notice something right now. Um, breathe in through your nose, put your attention on the cold air going in through your nose, and then when it's time to exhale, slowly do it through the nose. Notice the warm air going out through the nose. And let the air fall away, and when it does, you'll feel this warm space in the back of your throat. Rest in the bottom of that exhale. That little window over the years has become my space. That's where I go. That's the difference between me being skillful and unskillful, saying crazy shit and not saying crazy shit. Um, it's just that little warm pocket. Um, in the Vijnana Baharava, a 5,000-year-old text on meditation, Shiva says over and over again, at the top and the bottom of the breath, realize. And yes, there is a space at the top and the bottom, but I find the bottom to be where the most space occurs for me. So... Um, that's why meditation is vital for everyday life. But now we're going to uh, go on a few detours. When we look at everything from uh, the Christian contemplative move movement to Sufism to whatever religion you can name, within their monastic traditions, there's always a meditative method, something that is practiced to bring the attention back down into the body. Usually it's the breath. Uh, maybe prayer beads in your fingers or a sound like a mantra, but there's always a way of creating space. And these methods create neural pathways or habits that redirect our attention back to one of these things. And this allows us to stay focused on our um, object of contemplation, whether it's God or a sunset or, or an apple. There has to be a method of coming back, a practice of coming back, a way of training the mind to come back. Um, but I'd like to add here that the meditation, the way uh, it's taught within Buddhism, is the method that has been proven to change the biology of the brain, as well as change epigenetics, which is really interesting. Uh, epigenetics, which is what some of you call ancestral trauma. Um, but the next thing I'd like to mention is how this works in magic or occult practices. Um, I'm going to be a little snarky here for a second, so forgive me. But when you actually invest in these things with time 
energy and education and not just sharing memes about being a quote unquote witch and buying crystals and tarot cards, you see how important understanding and controlling the mind actually is when it comes to making these practices real in your life. Everyone from Blavatsky to Crowley to Spare to the OTO, whether it was left-hand path magic or right-hand path magic, understood that controlling, quieting, and understanding the nature of the mind was vital to making any of these practices real. Otherwise, you just get mess, you get misled by the conscious mind because it, with it's just it's grasping and clinging all the time. Um, you have to be able to harness the conscious mind's imaginative powers so that you can influence the subconscious mind and change your perception of the world around you. When you do that, you experience changes, right? Uh, and especially in, in my lineage, in the Karmakagyu lineage, there's a lot of visualization involved in a lot of the, uh, the sadhanas. So what that does is that when you strengthen your imaginative power, it, like for instance, if you can imagine this very ornate visualization, right, then you can easily imagine your life going well or something working out. But if you can't even... If you can't imagine something working or you can't imagine what it would feel like or be like to achieve this thing you'd like to achieve, then how are you going to do it? Your mind is going to constantly gear you towards finding difficulty and hardship. The world around you is a field of infinite possibilities. And when we create enough space uh, to work with the conscious mind so that we can then change the subconscious mind's perception then we begin to see these things pay off. Uh, we begin to see the world differently. That's the power of this. So uh, that's it for the importance of meditation. I hope it was helpful. I hope that you found this uh, beneficial as usual. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to reach out. I'll always respond. You know that. And as I mentioned before, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the Infinite Spark of Being and all of its facets, please do that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com. You can go to the donation page. You can go to the shop. There's a lot of ways to do that. And as usual, don't forget, reach out, talk to me. We're old friends. Don't make it weird. <laughs>